words. Today, please open your Bibles to Revelation 13th chapter, 4th verse. Revelation 13 and verse 4. We're going to resume our study there of this amazing book. As we know that we have to uh, seek the understanding that comes only from the Holy Spirit. Because He is the one who will lead us into all truth and show us things to come. He is the ultimate revealer of prophecy. So if we're going to learn, we have to learn from Him. What we're trying to do is put together the scenario of various events as they unfold, as they are going to unfold. The book of Revelation, I'm convinced, is a summary of the unfulfilled prophecies of the Word of God, and there's still a lot of them. There's enough that have been fulfilled concerning the first advent, concerning multiple things. Uh, we go back to the flood. We go to uh, the exodus. We go to the uh, return of the southern kingdom into Babylon. We go to the timing of the first advent. There's a number of prophecies already fulfilled, but there's a lot that have not been fulfilled. So what? how does it fit together? In order to put this together, you have to study verse by verse. So you can get verses in their context, but then you have to collect verses that deal with similar topics and put those together in order to see how it all fits together. First session, that's what we spend our time doing, is looking at the system of theology developed called eschatology, which is all about prophecy. Eschatos means last things, comes from the Greek, and that's, that's what it's designed to do. This class, we're looking at the verse by verse, looking at the contextual flow of the book of the Revelation to see how it fits. And then we're taking this book and fitting it with the systematic theology. This is part of what develops our system of theology, is the verse by verse analysis of all the passages that relate to prophecy. So, it's a, it's a big jigsaw puzzle. That's what it is. We've got to keep, it in, keep that in mind. We look for similar pieces, just like you solve a jigsaw puzzle. You see how those pieces fit together. And the scripture, it's all inspired. You remember that verse? All scripture is inspired of God. So that means there's no contradictions in it. When we find things that seem to be contradictions, they're contradictions in our thinking. But if we stop and pray about it and think about it long enough, we'll see how they start to fit together. So that's what we're trying to do. Uh, one of the things I've been meaning to put into the bulletin, I keep forgetting to do it regularly, is our website, uh, tbcokc.org. And if if I'm blowing through this so fast, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant, then you might want to go back into the website. Uh, these are all up on audio almost immediately after we get done and um, Roger puts them up on video they'll be up there in a little bit so you can go back and you can stop those it's kind of hard to hit the pause button on me once I get started but you can stop those start those and go back and go what did he say is he crazy or not so I mean you you can have time to to look at this uh, from from another direction and try to get a just a better grasp of it. So when somebody asks you a question about this crazy book called Revelation that they don't remotely understand, you might have some kind of answer for them that you can lead them, first of all, to Jesus Christ if they don't know him already, and second of all, to his word, ancient words long preserved for our walk in this world. Let's pray about this before we start. <clears throat> Father, again, we're so blessed, privileged, honored just to be a part of your family. Father, know you, you love us. You loved us while we were sinners, and Father, we're still sinners, but Father, you have redeemed us. You paid the price. And one of these days, the ultimate redemption will take place, and we know it is the rapture, the next great event. Father, I pray we will be prepared for that event, be standing in readiness as we saw the scriptures this morning, and be, uh, be ready for the time when our Master returns. Father, this morning I pray the Holy Spirit will be our real teacher. We'll be able to better grasp and understand your plan of the ages and what you have in store, not just for us, but for planet Earth, that we might be able to help others as they face various dilemmas during this time in which we live. Father, we pray that you'll sanctify 
this divine manna to nourish our souls. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, the stick takes place. And remember the seven churches, Revelation 2 and 3, chapter 1, is the introduction. Who's talking? It's all about Jesus. That's the bottom line. There's one prophecy that runs the whole the whole gamut of this book because it's referred to in the singular both in Revelation 1 and Revelation 22 and it means that's Jesus and he's coming back. He's coming back. He's going to establish his kingdom and all these other things connect to him. 2 and 3 is about the churches. And it's interesting. We're going to see a verse today that's going to remind us at chapter 2 and chapter 3 but I'm going to leave something out that is significant in this particular verse. You can see what you'll know what it is when we get when we get there. Chapter 4 and 5 is a scene in heaven right after the rapture. Now this chart is laid out so if you take a crooked stick even and you lay it vertically like this, then you can get some idea what's going on at the same time. Because after the in chapter 6, we have the opening of the seal judgments. Okay, These are the judgments that are going to run throughout the tribulation, and they're going to intensify. They're called birth pangs. They're going to start on this side, but they really don't count until they get here. And here, they're going to be a massive peace movement. Rider on the white horse. They're going to use death. He's going to use famine. He's going to use economic sanctions. That's going to be the way it's going to run throughout the tribulation. The fifth and sixth is about, the fifth one is about martyrs. So that means after all the believers leave, okay, at the rapture, there's going to be a gospel that is going to be given to the whole earth because there's going to be believers. This is where people get confused, think the church is going through the tribulation when it's not. They're believers, they're people saved after the rapture. Now, they've got to endure this or die. And many will die. They will die for their faith. And that's part of the prophecy. Does that mean God's happy with people dying? Well... No, not really, but if they die for the right cause, they come into his presence for there ever to spend eternity with him. Now, what happens right after the rapture? There's a lot of things that happen. We have two witnesses. We learn about them from Revelation 11 because the book is put together topically. So you have to study the topic and see where it fits on the line, on the timeline. Two witnesses come along, first half, how do we know that? Because they are out in the desert for 1260 days. We have a time tag, three and a half years roughly. Who are they killed by? We remember the Antichrist, the beast. He kills them. They lay in the streets of Jerusalem three and a half days, and then the whole world watches as they're taken into heaven. Okay, that's the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, people from the past is what it certainly appears to be, probably the two witnesses to the transfiguration of Christ. We have an angel comes through from Revelation 14, we haven't got to that chapter yet, but there are three angels come through, and it's all clumped into topics, of, okay, now we're going to talk about angels. Chapter 14, verses 6 through 9, three angels. First one comes through and gives the gospel to the whole world. So that's how the whole world gets the gospel and people get saved. I suspect while people are still looking up into the sky, the angel's going to come through, light it up, and go, okay, listen up. I don't know exactly how he'll use the wording there, but everybody's, everybody's attention will be focused for a second and probably looking up. And I suspect that's when they're going to hear the gospel in their own tongue, in, in their own nation. Angels are more powerful than we can imagine. So here it is. Here is the gospel. People get saved. Out of that, along with these two guys, 144,000 male virgin Jews, not Jehovah's Witnesses to be, but male virgin Jews, they will be Jehovah's Witnesses, actually, but they'll be the real ones that are there. Um, and you know, one, th one thing these people know is they know that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's how they get saved. That's how they get saved. And then, these two guys in red down here, 
Those are the two bad guys. Those are the two beasts. This is Revelation 13. This is the chapter we're studying right now. Now they're going to be functioning. See, up the two witnesses up till the midpoint, and they're gone. They're taken out of here. This first angel comes through. There'll be another angel. I suspect, though I can't prove, it'll be on the anniversary of the rapture. That's just my best guess. Because this second angel is going to come through and say, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Basically, you better figure out what Babylon is, and you also better go with the prophecies that say, If you're living there, get out. Okay, Because that's, that's what the, the prophecies are. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. That's going to be religious and economic Babylon. We haven't got to yet. That's chapter 17 and 18. The Antichrist is going to be directly involved in the destruction of religious Babylon. And we'll see him again in chapter 17. Third angel, probably again on the anniversary, don't take the mark of the beast. Now, this means that the beast is rising to power. And as we study passages, he takes a ten-nation confederacy. He defeats three of ten nations in his rise to power. And he's going to consolidate it into an eighth kingdom. Now, it's, it's, uh, we'll get into more of that in chapter 17. But that's kind of where we are. Along after the silence in heaven for about a half an hour, about half the trip, the trumpets start blowing. First four trumpets come along and they are, they are more judgments on mankind. Uh, demons out of the bottomless pit a star falls out of heaven that's where these come about and then we find three more trumpets fifth which are the first to second and third woes fifth trumpet and sixth trumpet shortly after the midpoint of the tribulation seventh trumpet opens up the last judgments the bold judgments that'll, that will occur now part of what we're looking at here how long does the Antichrist rule? Now he rises to power the first part of the tribulation. But many say the tribulation coincides with the seven year covenant he signs with Israel. But that's not what the evidence shows and we're going to see part of that evidence now. He will sign a seven year covenant. But the covenant is not contemporaneous with the seven years of the tribulation. All the scripture says is he will sign a covenant for seven years. Now, <clears throat> how long will he actually be there? Because we've already seen that here's this creature, seven heads, ten horns and all that. And I actually got a photograph of him this last week. So <clears throat> I meant to bring it and I forgot to bring it. I'll bring it next week, the photograph of this, this particular uh, creature. But about halfway through... The old devil gets thrown out. And the devil and this beast out of the sea, they get into cahoots with each other. And it looks like the devil indwells this creature because he gives him all of his power and all of his authority. And see, that's where we are right now in chapter 13. So I'm going to read the first three verses we covered last week. We're in about the middle point of the tribulation. And it says, And he stood on the sand of the seashore, and the uh, he here that we're looking at is the dragon. Okay, The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea having ten horns and seven heads. That's the one I have the photograph of. I'm going to share with you next week. And on his horns were ten diadems. And on his heads were blasphemous names. Now, a lot of these connected Daniel, and that's what we did last week, was connect them to the book of Daniel, specifically in the chapter 7. And it says, And the beast that I saw was similar to a leopard. His feet were like those of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Now, you start connecting the dots on this, you find out in 2 Thessalonians 2 that the Antichrist takes his seat in the temple of God and he proclaims himself to be a God. 
Okay? And he will put an end to sacrifice, the regular sacrifice. In the tribulation, we're back in the age of Israel. And so the animal sacrifices will start again. And when this beast takes his seat in the temple of God, that's in Jerusalem, he's going to stop those animal sacrifices that the Jews have started once again. Now, in verse 3, it says, I saw one person out of his head. Now, this is a very literal translation. We spent a lot of time on the verse last week. This is the passage that people take and they say, well, it's got to be John Kennedy because he was shot in the head and he's going to be coming back from the dead. Okay? Not John Kennedy. Also say Hitler because Hitler committed suicide, shot himself in the head. Well, he's coming back from the dead. They've claimed it's multiple people throughout history that somebody got shot in the head and they have been taken uh, from this fatal head wound and somehow they have come back. But that's not what the verse says. You have to go to the Greek and you have to let the Greek speak for itself. And when you do, it says, I saw one person, and this is a creature that was a person, out of his heads, out of the seven heads, which we know are seven anti-Semitic nations. The reason we know that, I've read ahead, I've read commentaries, people understand Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Those are six of the seven. The seventh is the revived Roman Empire. So it is a person that comes out of one of these out of these heads, out of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Rome. People have said the Pharaoh of the Exodus is one who is a potential for the Antichrist. They've gone back to Egypt. They've gone to Assyria, multiple Assyrian kings. Uh, when they get into Greece, Antiochus Epiphanes is one of the ones they look at in the in the uh, um, intertestamental period that's the word I was looking for that that uh, he he was a nut they, the Jews call him Antiochus the nut they call him Epiphanes instead of Epiphanes Epiphany means to manifest oneself so he thought he was a god and he was certainly a type of the Antichrist but he did not fit all of the qualifications but it says one out of his head. So it is somebody from the past, like Moses and Elijah out of the past. Remember that. Nobody has a problem with that. Having been slain unto death. So this is a uh, person that was slain. And it says, and the plague of his death was healed. That fatal head wound is literally the word plague Plague of the head of him is the way the Greek lays it out. <clears throat> Plague is used, I think, 18 times in the book of Revelation and every other place it's translated plague in Revelation except when they get here, they get cute with it. It says that he died a plague. Plague of his death. Whatever put him to death was, a pl- was plague was healed. Therapuo. That means that there was treatment applied to the problem. And the whole earth was amazed after the beast, and I supplied the word came, after he came. It's somebody, from what it says literally, from the past. And you say, boy, that's just crazy as can be. Well, how about with cloning? You find it interesting in these last days, something can be cloned, and I mean, we're prepped for it. Isn't the world prepped for it? Have you ever seen Jurassic Park? I mean, how many millions of people have seen Jurassic Park over and over and over again? And how did they get those dinosaurs? Cloning. What did they do? Take some DNA, grow it in a laboratory, and that could be what happens here. They've been looking for the DNA of certain individuals for a long, long time. And one of the indications is that they might have some of it that would be a good candidate for who this person is. But it says that here is somebody back from the dead, and the whole earth was amazed. The whole earth was amazed after the beast came. Now, where we left off is in verse 4. It says, and they... In context, they is the whole earth. Worshipped the dragon. 
Now, <clears throat> worship is a word, proskuneo. And it means literally to fall to one's knees and to bow down, to do obeisance to. And that's why I translated, they did obeisance to the dragon. Why? Because he gave his authority to the beast. So this creature from the past that has come back now is given the authority of Satan, the dragon who's been cast out of heaven. And they worshipped, which is our proskuneo word. They fell on their faces. Pros means on the face. So it means to go to your knees and go down on your face to the beast saying, Who is like or who is similar to the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? Now see, in reality, by worshipping this man, they're worshipping Satan. They were bowing down to the devil himself and didn't realize it. It's part of the strong delusion described in 2 Thessalonians 2 that's going to come on all mankind. God's going to permit this to happen. There are exceptions to the description whole earth. We'll see that in verse 8. When you see the word whole earth there, it, the whole earth was amazed. No question about it. And the whole earth, they, were, they did obeisance to were made to bow down, but there had to be exceptions because not all of them did. A lot of them died because they wouldn't do obeisance. Now, does that sound familiar? If you read the Old Testament, what was what was Daniel being called to do? To bow down. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bow down to this goober on the throne out there. I'm not going to do it. And he got bore the consequences for it. But a lot of people throughout history, Christians throughout history, would not bow the knee to the Roman emperor like Nero. And what happened? They died for it. So the whole world, they were amazed, and the whole world was called to worship the beast, but the whole world didn't. Otherwise, you wouldn't have martyrs, and we know we do. This ancient ruler is heralded as an invincible commander. He is somebody that you don't want to mess with. And remember, from chapter 11, he overcomes the witnesses, the two witnesses that have shut up the skies for three and a half years. Moses and Elijah and have been ministering out in the wilderness. He kills them. See, and this is, about, this is just about the same time frame. There are two, Moses and Elijah, who are similar to him. Moses and Elijah, and there's only one that can wage war with him. Only one that can, who can wage war with the beast. Well, I know somebody. He'll be here in chapter 19 because I read ahead. He's coming back. <laughs> See? Now, verse 5 is the blasphemy saying, There was given to him. This is the beast out of the sea. Okay? Context. The beast that comes up out of the sea. A mouse speaking arrogant words. Literally says great things. That's basically what he's talking about. Now, Daniel chapter 7. We read big parts of it last week. In Daniel chapter 7, how does it describe this, the little horn, as it's called in Daniel 7, this beast? He's got a great big mouth. It also talks about him in that way in Daniel chapter 11. He's got a big mouth. And what does he speak? Speaking great things and blasphemies. Hey, I'm back from the dead. Hey, guess what? I'm a god. Hey, guess what? Bow down and worship me or die. That's what he is saying. Blasphemies, that is a word, blasphemeo, that a study of the word blasphemy, you find out some quite interesting things there about blasphemy some people think it's taking the word God and attaching a four letter word to the end of it and that can be but that is that is so um, minute of a possibility what blasphemy is all about people blaspheme with great big fancy words and they, how, you know in a way what's mother nature huh Mother Nature kind of indicates that all of us came out of Mother Earth, right? Think about that for a second. Is that of God or of evolution? Right out of evolutionary theory. 
You can find it in the in the Hindu scriptures. I've shown you the the idols on the south end of India that actually have this stuff with Mother Nature in there is brought 1913 World's Fair from this little Swami Vivekananda, and he brought it over and brought brought that goofy stuff to the United States. Now, <clears throat> Mother Nature, and every time I hear a weatherman do it, you almost get kind of immune to it, don't you? Mother Nature's bringing us. No, Father God is bringing this. Okay, let's keep this straight because, in a in a sense, that is a subtle form of blasphemy. Nature is not our mother. God is our Father, and He's the one who brings us into existence, sustains us, maintains us. That's who He is, not Mother Nature. I could preach on that for a while. But look at this last phrase: an authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. Okay, when is the 42 months given to this beast to to act? Uh, the beast now with the dragon giving him authority and his power. That's middle point. From the middle point to the end, because who's going to stop him? Jesus says, chapter 19. So how long is this, this covenant with death? It's signed for seven years, but it doesn't last that long. It only lasts for 42 months. That's all the time that is, that is given. Now, who also gives him authority? The devil gives him his authority. devil probably said, I confer upon you seven years of rulership. And God said, nope, time out. There's only about 42 months left. So you can have a free run to try and upset things all you want to, but it's going to end. It's going to end. The man will be a great orator. There's the passages in Daniel 11 that uh, are are pretty clear. He's he is a he's a big mouth. He's the kind of person that that sways people by the way they speak. You may have heard people like that before. It's just by their tone of voice. They just have a soothing voice. And it's interesting that Paul makes a comment in his epistles. He says uh, they say that. When I'm there, I'm, my, my speech is terrible. Okay, They don't like the way I talk. And he says, then they also say, you know, I'm nice and gentle, but when I write, my letters are bold because really I'm a coward. That's part of the, part of the attack on Paul. And he's saying, I'm, I'm not one to win you over with smooth and flattering speech. Remember the book of Proverbs? How many times in through the book of Proverbs it talks about the smooth and flattering speech? People are really good at just, oh, you're the nicest, sweetest person I've ever met in my whole entire life. I, you probably heard that before, just before you get stabbed. You know, it's just, it's the way that people manipulate people by speech and this guy is a master manipulator I guess you could say he's a great politician the great things probably include his promises to Israel I would suspect that would fit neatly into this little generic phrase the mouth speaking great things okay Israel follow me Listen to this false prophet over here only he won't call him a false prophet listen to this beast out of the land that comes up later in the chapter. Because he's going to tell you that I am who I say I am. I'm a God. Does that sound familiar? And the day you eat of that tree, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What do you think the devil's going to be offering mankind? Godhood. I'm back from the past. I've overcome death. You follow me? I mean, it's just a, a natural thing that he would lay out there. Probably include his promises to Israel. Isaiah 28 talks about it in the Old Testament, 800 years before Christ, and says it's a covenant of death. It will involve that covenant with them. The blasphemies will probably include the offer of Godhood to mankind, used by Satan for millennium, the 42 months. Refer to the time he will be in covenant with Israel. He has committed for seven years. But this verse looks at when his reign will end. Now, <clears throat> and he. This is the beast. This is where you look at the last noun 
that was identified. When you find pronouns, he, she, it, we, you, they, then you go back to the immediate antecedent. That's how you fit those in and you understand who's saying what to who and when. He opened his mouth in blasphemies against the God. Now, if you proclaim yourself to be a God, you have opened your mouth in blasphemy against the God. Because the God is a one and only. Very clear. He is a one and only. And if you say you're a God, that's, that's blasphemy. To blaspheme his name, okay, how do you blaspheme it? What is, what is the reputation of the God we serve? He's sovereign, but yet the dragon claims sovereignty, right? He's righteous and just. Oh, but the dragon says you're going to have to bow down and follow this guy, otherwise I'm going to kill you. He is love. I don't see a whole lot of love in this dragon, in this beast. He is eternal life. This guy will claim it. He is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He's going to counterfeit omniscient. Because he, he has got this, uh, this image of the beast that knows all things. He's going to claim omniscience. It's going to seem like he's omnipresent. But it's interesting how he could seem like that in a society like this where, where satellites are watching us all the time. Wouldn't be hard to do. He's going to claim all these things. He's going to claim unchangingness. And he's going to claim to be the bastion of truth. He is going to be a counterfeit messiah. So you have to pay attention to the book, otherwise you, you miss it. Now, what is the scope of his blasphemy? The scope of his blasphemy, he opened his mouth in blasphemies against the God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, his tent. Who's his tabernacle? That is, those who dwell in the heaven. That's us. Those who dwell in the heaven. What happened to the devil and his angels? Got thrown to the earth. No longer could make accusations going back and forth to, to God making accusations. Thrown to the earth. Who's left in heaven? Us. Who is he blaspheming? Us. What is he saying about us? Probably everything you can imagine. This thing called the church. They're the source of all the ills on planet earth right now. That's already going in case you haven't noticed or heard that so that Christianity we are the problem now with that is being spread all over we are the problem we are the problem that the planet is is going to die because of us we Christians are the problem that the ice caps are melting well Kelvin just got a picture of the ice caps I don't know if they're melting or not but if they melt they'll go back They've happened before. They're not. And so what if they don't? I find it interesting that people that were all uh, on this climate change, global stuff, and how the oceans are going to rise five and ten feet, spend twelve million dollars on a house on the seashore. That doesn't make any sense to me, and I'm not even Jeff Foxworthy. That just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Why you would do that now he's going to pervert the significance of the rapture and the second advent in fulfillment of multiple prophecies multitude of, of pictures here he's going to pervert it Daniel 78 7 verse 8 says a mouth uttering great boast 711 using boastful words 720 a mouth uttering great boast 725 speaks against the most high and wears down the saints of the highest one and intend to make alteration in times and in law and they'll be given into his hand for a time times and half a time three and a half years 42 months 1260 days the Bible is consistent when this guy rises to power and takes his seat in the temple of God there's about three and a half years left before the Lord comes back from heaven with his armies now <clears throat> Daniel 8 
23, and in the latter period of that rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise insolent and skilled in intrigue, and his power will be mighty, but get this, not by his own power. Where did this beast get his power? From the dragon. Foretold by Daniel 600 years before Christ. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree. He will prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. And through his shrewdness he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. He will magnify himself in his heart. He will destroy many while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes. But he'll be broken without human agency. And the vision of the evenings and the mornings has been told as true. Keep the vision secret, Daniel, for it pertains to many days in the future. How's he going to be broken? One little word shall fell him. A mighty fortress is our God. You remember them, that verse? One little word shall fell him. When the Lord comes back, he calls down fire out of heaven and takes out the king of the north. Ezekiel 38 and 39. He then basically tells Big Mouth to shut up. Isn't that interesting? Here's a guy that, that's, that's all mouth. Almost. He is a mouth uttering. He's blaspheming. He does all that. And, God, and the Lord says, I don't know, stop it. <laughs> Enough. Whatever it is, one word is all it takes. Now, how powerful are you when you're shut down by one word? One word. Daniel 11.36, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. Does this sound familiar? This is Daniel. 2 Thessalonians 2 says the same thing. Takes his seat in the temple, proclaims himself to be a god. He says he will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. Back to Daniel. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished. For that which is decreed will be done. Do you believe it or not? That's what was left with Daniel. There's quite a description of this man in the book of Daniel. It is carried out again and brought into the New Testament. Again, a summary of unfulfilled prophecies is found in the book of Revelation. And if you want to fill in the blanks, you have to take these pieces in Revelation and go back and find their context and other places that they're referred to in the Scripture. Now, blasphemy means to ascribe something to God that's not true. And this man seems to turn blasphemy into, a, into an art, art form. He's already at work now. Right now there is the Freedom From Religion Foundation that is here in the United States. And, and at least they're consistent, almost. They don't want any religion. They're not just trying to do away with Christianity. They don't want Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. They don't want any religion other than their religion. Because they have a religion. <laughs> they have a belief system upon which they act. That's what they do. It is a religion, like it or not. Call it any. They'll call it by any other name, but that's what it is. Because you cannot live this life without faith in something. So the question is, what's your faith in? Now... <clears throat> There's divine permission for satanic authority. In verse 7, it was given to him, this is the beast, it was given to him to make war with the saints, with the holy ones, literally. Hagioi is what's used here. To make war with the, the saints. Now see, obviously the whole world didn't do obeisance to him. Like it said in the earlier verse, that's what he decreed, but that's not what happened. Because why is he going to make war with people that are bowing down to him? Well, there's some, uh, there's some freedom fighters, if you will. Subversives. I guess they, uh, he probably calls them terrorists. They're probably terrorists. And to overcome them. That means there's going to be a lot of martyrs in the process. We've already read about those martyrs coming out of the Great Tribulation. 
and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to the beast. Given to him, the beast. Sounds like he had a big United Nations meeting and somehow got elected over them. And what is he doing? Rider on the white horse. See, it's all going on throughout all the tribulation. Rider on the white horse. He's preaching peace. That's his message. It's also taught in 1 Thessalonians 5. He is preaching peace. How does he do it? Well, if you don't bow down to me, I'll kill you. How does he do it? Economic rationing. A quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. For what? A quart of wheat that might make a couple of loaves of bread? That's what happens when inflation sets in. The world monetary system goes kaput. How's he going to do it? Famine. Now, <clears throat> authority. God permits the beast from the sea to overcome many of the saints. And that's seen in the martyrs of the tribulation. He gives the beast this authority over the world. Satan, the dragon, the serpent of old, as he's called. Yet all the earth does not cooperate, so he's not really the undisputed ruler and has a kingdom that is divided. There are some nations, uh, including the king of the north, that will actually oppose him. We know that because we're putting all the pieces together out on the table. There's a king that comes from the north, according to Daniel 11. He will come down. It even gives the route to the west side of Jerusalem between Jerusalem and the ocean and defeat the king of the south. Now, that's, that's what we are told. So, the king of the north is not on his side. Kings of the east are because they're all polytheists. But if you're a monotheist... Included, which includes the Muslims, he is opposing you because he's proclaimed himself to be a god. And if you don't bow down to him as a god, no matter who you are, who, who does he hate? He hates monotheists and atheists. Atheists don't believe there's any god. So it is a holy war. This whole thing is a massive holy war. In verse 8, it says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. That's what he's shooting for. But bow down to him? We've just seen that, nah, that's not quite going to happen. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. And here's part of the, the book scenario. Now, <clears throat> the foundation, the word foundation, the foundation of the earth, foundation of the world, there's two words in the Greek, translated foundation. And it's hard to distinguish them by means of translation. This word is katabole. Katabole is a word, bole means to throw, kata means down, to throw down. And I see this as a uh, katabole plus cosmos is a disorderly foundation. Uh, being a son of a bricklayer, I know that there are orderly and disorderly foundations. Whenever you take something and you break up bricks and all that, and you just throw them in, it's kind of a rough, jagged foundation until you pour concrete over the top of it. Well, this is a disorderly foundation. There's another foundation talked about that is the word themelion. And that means, that's a word that means to place. So you know that you might have a walkway, and you have stones or pavers placed in that walkway. That's a themelion. It is an orderly foundation. The katabole is the one that is chaotic, that is laid out there, and it's hard to walk on. Well, since the fall of Satan, it's a disorderly foundation of the world until the Lord puts it in order. I think the best way he does that is he covers it over with concrete. Okay. That'll take one of those type of things. You, you take a gravel, large gravel. Large gravel is hard to walk on. That's how I learned to ride a bike. You know, because that's the only place we had. They, my parents wouldn't let me ride it in the street. <laughs> so I had to go to the neighbor's house. 
uh, which had big rough big gravel and it's hard to ride on that but boy you get out in that smooth thing that's just got all that rubble covered over it's a it's a lot easier but the lord is the one that that does this it's kind of interesting because catabole the disorderly foundation is kind of like the foundation made of sand and the guy that built his house on the sand and the waves came and all that and it tore it down didn't have a solid foundation as compared on the one built on the rock that we stand on beautiful picture that kind of fits there in the book this is biblion it's the little book of the life of the lamb who has been slain there are multiple books we'll deal with them more later but there is a big book of life this big book of life is the name of every human being that ever lived ever come into existence and if a person dies in unbelief their name is erased from that book that's Revelation 3 when you find somebody getting their name erased from the book it's nice to know it's a great big book and if you die in unbelief it's erased there's another book this other book wrote down the names of everybody who had ever believed before the disorderly foundation of the world God's omniscience at work he knew us before we before he called us into existence he's known all about us who we are he is the one that that did that and it's a little book of everybody who would believe compared to the big book of all who would that includes all who would perish but what's going to happen at the great white throne when the books are opened they're going to balance right you start with a big group of people here and they die in unbelief all you got left is the believers you have another book over here that all had all the believers to begin with what have you just demonstrated beyond the shadow of a doubt the omniscience of God that deals with it. That connects to the angelic conflict. Now, <clears throat> those who take their stand on the rock are distinctly different from those who take their stand on the sand. In the tribulation, there'll be a clear distinction between believers and unbelievers. Our entry is the Lamb's in the Lamb's book is worthy of rejoicing. Luke 10, we're not going to read that today, but he sent his disciples out. You remember that? He sent those disciples, 70 out. They went out and they came back. Lord, it is really cool. What We threw out demons. We trampled on snakes. We did miracles. You know, and he says, don't rejoice over that, guys. Rejoice that your name is written in the book from the foundation of the world. Okay? The, these gifts whatever we have been given and blessed with by God do not add up to the fact that we're going to spend eternity with him and that's the that's the priorities we have to keep things if we had no other crowns stones precious stones or anything of heaven we ought to serve the Lord because of what he did for us at salvation no other reason but he knows we're a bunch of teenage fools <laughs> Okay, well, we got, well, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> I know you saved my soul forevermore. That's what your book says. Well, what have you done for me lately? He says, I'll tell you what. I got stuff that's over and above the normal blessings of heaven. You know, they're called crowns, precious stones, rulership. I've got all these great things for you. I think that's just to keep us going till we grow up. Then, because what are we going to do with those crowns? cast them down our golden crowns beyond the glassy sea before the glassy sea yeah we'll see just exactly what those are worth should we work to get them I think so that's what our good works are for that we might be thoroughly furnished for every good work which Kelvin read this morning thoroughly furnished for every good work he wants us to do that because it honors him but what gets us into heaven it's whether or not you believe that Jesus took your place on a cross. He died for your sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. That's what gets you in. Salvation by grace through faith. Our entry in the Lamb's book's worth rejoicing. Verse 9. If anyone has an ear. Anybody in it here got an ear? We got two of them, right? 
He said, if you just have one, <laughs> let him hear. Listen. Listen to what he's telling us. Listen about this man who's going to rise up one of these days. Pay attention. But notice, have you heard this phrase before in the book of Revelation? Seven times before. Chapters 2 and chapters 3. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church isn't here. It's another one of those little inferences. says the church is gone. But whoever finds himself in the tribulation better be reading this book. Getting real familiar with it. <clears throat> church is no longer present. Well, we can rejoice over the fact we won't have to go through all of this stuff. But I pray that we know what we're talking about because you never know when you're going to get an opportunity to show somebody and tell somebody and say, well, you know, this is for another time. This is for another time. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to go through it. You don't have to. And then know how to lay the gospel out clearly, simply. Invite them to join this family with all of its flaws. We've got a bunch of them. With the church with all of its flaws. Yet the bride is going to one day make herself ready for the groom. And we are going to reign with him. That's blessings beyond our imagination. Let's get ready for them. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your mercy and love and grace. Thank you for all you poured out upon us in the Beloved. Thank you for your magnificent promises that you have given to us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. You are with us always. Father, thank you for these prophecies. And I pray we would be able to understand and remember them. And Father, as you grant us opportunities, I pray that we would be able to calm some people by pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Father, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.